0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I'd like you to, uh, to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me read the first uh, 15 verses in chapter 4. We're just going to look at verses 7 through 15 really, but let me, let me read this section. Paul's writing to uh, the believers at Corinth, the church at Corinth. And uh, this is a church that he had planted many years before this. And he's quite concerned for them uh, because of what they've gone through and what he has gone through. And so he's writing a very open-hearted letter to them. And he says in uh, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, that is this new covenant ministry that we have entered into, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. A Totally transparent uh, ministry. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is, Paul's going to say this is exactly, well, it's what he said in the previous chapter, in fact. This is exactly what God showed him. He showed him the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He says that when the light came into his life supernaturally, as the gospel was preached to him by Christ, that would be pretty direct personal ministry, wouldn't it? That Jesus Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus, and he said, God caused his light to shine in my heart so that I saw the glory of God in the face or the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on, verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure... That is this treasure of the gospel, this treasure of having our eyes open to the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, or if you have an NIV, it says jars of clay, clay vessels. It's kind of those pots that you get plants in that you buy, those little clay pots, those little red clay pots, that kind of thing. In other words, they're a dime a dozen and they break easily and they're very useful but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. If you want to see how that's true, all you got to do is read the, God, the uh, book of Acts about the ministry of the Apostle Paul and see how he experience these very things being afflicted perplexed persecuted forsaken struck down always caring about in the body the dying of jesus so that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our body for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for jesus sake so that the life of jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh but having the same, so death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Quoting Psalm 116 there. I believe, therefore I spoke. And we also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The title of this sermons in your bulletin there is uh, Gospel Power and Human Weakness. That's the name of this series as well, because that's what this book's all about. It's all about gospel power seen through our human weakness. Uh, Yuri's testimony was a great great demonstration of that. During these five years he was fighting with cancer, Uh, people talked about the kind of impact his life had on them as he continued to uh, manifest faith in Christ in the worst of circumstances. And what I want to do is just to follow Paul's line of thought. First of all, the gospel is our true treasure. Verse 7. The gospel is our true—in verses 4 through 6, actually—the gospel is our true treasure. In fact, nothing else in life has value to compare with this gospel. But it's not just the gospel in the sense of, hey, do you own the book of 1 Corinthians 15? Do you know the facts of the gospel? It's not that. It's much more than that. It's the experience of the Spirit opening the eyes so that you see the glory of God in the face of Christ— if you remember back in the Gospels, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus in the cover of night. And the reason was that the leaders of Israel were totally against Jesus because people were saying he was the Messiah. And they certainly didn't want a Messiah like him. And so Nicodemus sneaks in because he's a member of the, of the Sanhedrin. He sneaks in and talks to Jesus. And he says, You know, we know that you must have come from God because of the things that you do and the things that you say. And you would think that Jesus would say, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That's very encouraging. He didn't say that. He said, you cannot see the kingdom of God and you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again, born of the spirit. Unless your eyes have been opened to the glory of God in the face of Christ, you cannot perceive the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was dumbfounded. Because Jesus said, you must be born again. And he says, well, how in the world can I, uh, uh, an adult male, a mature man, enter my mother's womb again? What are you talking about? And so Jesus explains to him, you must be born of the Spirit. There's a spiritual birth that must take place. And that spiritual birth is what Paul's talking about right here, what he experienced on the road to Damascus. It's fascinating the context in which people come to be born again. The Apostle Paul was on the road to persecute Christians, the followers of Jesus, because he hated Jesus and he hated his followers. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus confronts him, the resurrected Christ. And Paul is struck down. The, The light was so bright it blinded him. And it took him... a. Uh, a week over a week to even recover from this encounter and to discover what in the world was going on. Well, he had met Christ. Meeting Christ is always dramatic. it isn 't just signing a little sheet and saying, Yes, I want to be a Christian and I want to be baptized." no it 's having this experience of an encounter with the living Christ, where the spirit opens your eyes and you see what, was declared, what is declared in the gospel. That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again. When you see the reality of who this Jesus is, you see the glory of God in the face of Christ. It changes you forever. It literally turns your life inside out. That's the treasure that we have. The treasure is this gospel that has transformed our lives, that has opened our eyes to the glory of Christ. Now, back in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, the gospel ministry, the new covenant ministry, is, is described as being glorious, far surpassing the ministry of the old covenant, the, the ministry that, of the old covenant which God gave through Moses. But this glorious ministry should not cause us to feel proud or superior. Christians are by nature, because of the work of the Spirit, humble people. And the reason is, is that the gospel humbles you. And when you realize that this glorious treasure that you have received, this treasure of coming to find out that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came into the world and died for our sins, who's the Lord of glory. He is the King in the kingdom of God. That's his glory. That's true glory, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel. And once that takes place, life changes drastically. And so in this first section here, in verses 4 through 6, he says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, those who don't believe the gospel, refuse to believe the gospel. He says their minds are blinded by the God of this world, so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. God calls all all of us, not just preachers who stand before churches, but every single believer. He's called us to be preachers of Jesus Christ, not of ourselves. It really is true. We're not all that special. (laughs) And you all say, amen. You really aren't. I know that. Christ is who we preach. He goes on verse five, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's a great treasure. And you've been given it if you're a believer and your eyes have been opened to the glory of Christ, you've been given this glorious gift and he calls it a treasure now, in the next section, he says, we are like earthen vessels, which, when broken, manifest the light of the gospel. Um, the backstory of this is found back in Judges. I'm going to have you turn back there. Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So what is that sixth, seventh book? <laughs> so go back to Judges. If you've ever read Judges, it's a very depressing book. And it's depressing because it's the story of Israel in the land when they didn't want to serve God. They wanted to serve the gods of their neighbors. And so what kept on happening is that they would repent and turn back to God and God would deliver them. And then after their deliverance, they would go back and do the same thing. Very much like what the Christian life can become if we're not careful. If you look back at verse uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, let me just read the back story. It says, then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The Midianites are descendants of Abraham, but not descendants of Jacob. They're not a part of Israel. And so they were enemies to the east, and they, they really wanted to do in Israel. They wanted to destroy them. Verse 2 says, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian, the sons of Israel, made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Kind of like uh, bomb shelters. Because the Midianites would come in against them and all they could do is hide. But it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come. In other words, when the crop came in, the Midianites would come over into Israel, and they didn't pick the crop. What they did was destroy it. Because what they were interested in doing was destroying Israel. So they would come in and camp, thousands upon thousands of them, and they would overrun the crops and destroy what, all of the work they had done. Well, then over in chapter 7, you see God doing something that He often does. That is that He often... Uses the weakest of men to be an instrument in his hands to deliver his people. Let's skip all the way down to verse fifteen of chapter seven, because most of you, at least you who grew up in Sunday school, you know the story of Gideon. And you know when God found him, he was hiding. He was hiding uh, and and trying to to somehow keep some of the crop that the Midians had come in to destroy. And he's just a young guy and he's very scared and God approaches him and calls him a mighty warrior. (laughs) And uh, it's really quite a comical scene. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to read a little further down, but uh, this is really like God. Ask anybody, you know, that God uses why God chose him and they'll go, I don't have a clue. And that's how Gideon was. Now, what happens with Gideon, because he was so afraid, God decides to do something for him. He wants to encourage him. So he has him go down, sneak down by the Midian army, their encampment, and just in the dark on the outskirts, you stay there, and I'm going to encourage you. And what happens is he overhears this conversation between two of these soldiers of the Midian army. And one of them had a dream. And he interpreted, the other man interpreted the dream. It means that Gideon... This, this warrior Gideon is going to come in and destroy us. Well, what they didn't know that was Gideon was not a mighty warrior. He was a scared little guy that was simply obeying the word of God. In fact, what God does to him, if you remember, he narrows down his army. First, he has thousands, and God cuts it down to hundreds, and then he cuts it down to 300. 300 men against a massive army of thousands of Midianites. Now after Gideon hears this conversation between these two, it says when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put trumpets. Get this. Here's their weapons. Here's their weapons. He put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. And these pitchers are pots of clay. They're clay pots. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men... Uh, who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. So here's these 300 men surrounding the camp of thousands. And so what happens is they follow Gideon's lead. And what Gideon does is he blows his trumpet and he breaks the pitcher, the clay pot in his hand. And what happens? The light shines. And so all of a sudden these 300 men are holding torches and trumpets. No guns, no no uh, weapons, trumpets, and torches. And God causes the Midian army to be totally confused. They begin to fight with each other and kill each other, and they end up running off and leaving them alone. God delivers them. Well, the Apostle Paul is obviously alluding to this in this chapter we're reading in 2 Corinthians, because he uses this analogy that we are like earthen vessels, like clay pots, like jars of clay, which when broken manifests the light of the gospel. Remember, we have this treasure in clay pots. That's us. You're the clay pots. I'm a clay pot. Uh, Phil Howard calls us crack pots. (laughs) We're pots that are broken continually over and over again. And in the midst of our brokenness, the light of the gospel shines through. And listen to what he says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that is jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Isn't that something? That God's plan is not to elevate you above Jesus, but to manifest the glory of Jesus through your life. And so when, when these, these things come up in our life, when we feel so broken, so damaged, this is when the light of the glory of the gospel shines through us. This is what happened with Yuri. It was, it was something listening to people talk about that. Because he was really a strong guy. I noticed in the thing a little testimony by Ryan's son. And he talked about he was stronger than Ryan. And he didn't want him to hurt his dad. But he wasn't strong in, in this situation because he became very weak. Ended up losing his life. But in the midst of this brokenness, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ shone through him. I want to read a, a letter to you. That, that Actually, Ryan gave this to me, but it was a letter from a pastor we know up in Minden, Nevada. I, I was looking for Byrne. I don't think he's here. He's, this is a, he's a friend. Byrne's not here, is he? Pardon me? Okay. I didn't want to read it and surprise him because this guy's a friend of his. And... Um, He asked for, his name is Brian Borgman. He's a pastor of a church in Minden, Nevada, which he planted some years back. And uh, this is a letter he wrote to ask people to pray for him. He says, next Wednesday, April 27th, I will go in for an eight and a half hour surgery on my brain to remove a large tumor. Some of you know that last week I was diagnosed with a large, and he gives us the dimensions of it, and I don't know how big that is, but it's a and he gives the name of the cancer, which I can't pronounce. (laughs) Uh, He says, uh, it has caused serious vision loss in my left eye. And then he says, here are the blessings. And he enumerates these blessings. First blessing, these types of tumors are typically benign. Second, Second blessing, I have been referred to UCSF, which is in the top four neurological hospitals in the nation, the best on the West Coast. My doctor, Dr. McDermott, is the best surgeon when it comes to these tumors. Blessing number three, Dr. McDermott believes he can remove the whole tumor, and so radiation would not be necessary. And then he says, here are the concerns I want you to pray for. Number one, the tumor, which is very large, five and a half centimeters, is into my brain. It's that far into the it's not on the outside, it's on the inside of his brain. I thought originally it was on the brain, but it is deep in the brain. This will require some serious skull removal. Yuck, he says. Number two, two carotid arteries that run through this tumor. That's, these are the carotid arteries of his brain. And another major artery go right through the tumor. The tumor is very, is very tricky. Number three: This is there is a 55 percent chance my sight will not improve. A 10 percent chance that it could actually get worse, and a 45 percent chance it will get better. Number four: percent. There's a 50 percent chance I will lose all sense of smell and taste for the rest of my life. My family and I covet your prayers. Please pray for a successful surgery without any complications. <laughs> Please pray that my vision will improve and I will not suffer other side effects. Please pray for a good recovery. Doctor McDermott said this will be a very this will be very painful. I've never had a doctor tell me that, of you? This can be very painful. Please pray for my wife, Ariel, which is a glorious name, that's the name of Jerusalem. Ariel. She is strong in the Lord and is my rock. Pray for the kids, Ashley and Zach and Alex. Pray especially that God would open Alex's heart. He is scared for his dad. Pray that I would be able to endure this trial in a way that honors the Lord and magnifies Jesus Christ. Pray that God would sanctify me. (laughs) Pray that the Lord would sanctify me. How bad do you want sanctification? That he would sanctify me, my family, my church through this. God has been sustaining us. He's been answering prayers already. Too many to recount right now. His word is precious. His sovereignty and goodness is the strength of our hearts. I will be sure and send out something or have someone somewhere send out something next week. Thank you for your prayers. Remember 2 Corinthians 1.11 in the bonds of our Savior, Brian. This is a wonderful brother. Uh, I've known him for quite a while, and he's extremely effective in ministry, smart guy, strong guy, but now he is in a place of great weakness. And according to this passage, I have no doubt about it, God's going to use him greatly to display the glory of the gospel. (laughs) Now, Third thing is, Paul says, no matter how intense the brokenness, God won't allow it. That is the brokenness to destroy us or his gospel purposes. This is not a welcome message to most people, because especially in American Christianity, we kind of think what Christianity is, it's a great way to go because you become a Christian and life gets really good until God wants to break you and, and to display the glory of his son through you. And then you say, this is the most magnificent thing that's ever happened to me. That God would choose me to display his glory through. So by means of suffering, God's clay pots are broken so that the glorious light of the gospel is evident. No matter what our affliction or how severe, God will not allow us to be destroyed by it. He's promised us that. In fact, Brian... um, Yuri is now in glory. <laughs> he's in glory. And this is what we were promised in Romans chapter 5, the hope of glory. And that hope is being fulfilled right now, a great part of it, as he's in the presence of Christ. And there's no way we could—nobody's jealous of him here, because, uh, probably because we can't even think in those terms. What would this be like to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? especially after suffering for five years and hating to leave your family. Four children? Four children and wife. And then being in the presence of Christ. What an assignment. What an assignment for Brian. In fact, I want to pray for him right now. Let's just pause a second. Our Father, I come before you for Brian Borgman. You've kept your hand on him for all these years. You've, you've used him, Father, for your glory. He's been a, a preacher of the word. He's been a, a publisher of the word. He's done. He's given his life for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would use this trial to display the glory of the gospel through him. And at the same time that you would raise him up from this, Father, and strengthen him. I pray you would restore his sight and, and all these other fears that they would, they would not come to be. That you would work in this situation and display your mighty power but most of all, that you would display the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 8 and 9, he mentions um, four different forms of suffering. Listen to what he says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Now, if you read the life of Paul, you see that every place he goes to preach the gospel, he ends up getting beaten. Sometimes he. We even think one time he got beaten to death and God raised him from the dead. He's thrown in jail. All of his possessions are taken away. So he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Wow. Afflicted, but not crushed. The word afflicted means to be squeezed. It's used, for example, of Jesus being squeezed in the crowd at Nazareth when, if you remember, they pushed him off. They were going to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> and he uses this word, we were, we are pressed in. We have so many things against us, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed. We have inner turmoil. He gets news of all the churches. That's, the, the news comes to him about what's going on in people's lives, and he's, he's always impacted by it. His heart is broken. And, but that, that becomes the opportunity for write these letters that we have in the New Testament. They're all what's called occasional letters. They are epistles that are written to individuals and churches to encourage them and to instruct them in the midst of life. The things that they're facing. There are so many times, that's why they're such a comfort to us. We get into the, God supernaturally gave us this Bible In the New Testament epistles, we read them and and we see exactly what we need from the living God as he speaks to us through his word. Because there's times you're wishing that somebody would say to you, hey, God spoke to me this week and told me to tell you something. Well, guess what? That's exactly what you will find in the word of God. That you'll find, you'll hear the voice of God in the scriptures as you come to it in faith. And then he says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. If you've read the Bible, you know about the fiery furnace, the four Hebrew children. You probably know their names, at least their, their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you remember, those three Hebrew children were thrown in the fiery furnace, but then all of a sudden they saw a fourth man in the fire. And of course, we know it says he, he, had, he looked like the uh, son of man, <laughs> It was the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we go through, when we're persecuted, we're never forsaken because the glo- the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us in the midst of that kind of persecution. And then the fourth kind he mentions is struck down but not destroyed. Paul was stoned in Lystra. Stoned. No, he, he wasn't high. He was stoned with rocks. Stones and they left him for dead. In fact, he he very well may have died, and God raised him up. So he knows what it's like. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 1, we saw Paul saying, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of what happened to us in Asia Minor, that we were tested beyond our ability to bear. We even despaired of life. But then he does the most wonderful thing. He tells us why God would do such a thing in his life. So that we would no longer trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We have a graduation coming up at the seminary and the Bible College in uh, June. And um, what always happens when guys go through seminary, and I've been through seminary, Ryan's been through seminary, is you go through seminary and then you think you've actually, that you're actually competent. Because you learn Hebrew and greek and and uh, you can pronounce Greek words and throw them out during a sermon <laughs> and uh, and that kind of thing, but then it doesn't take long at all. It only takes a short while for you to find out no, you are a jar of clay, or as when Phil was taught when he calls us crackpots, he means you're just a an earthly vessel, but when, the, when you, you come to be made to feel small, God looks big. You know, you're never going to see God as big until you see yourself as small. And so God has ways of doing that for us. It's a wonderful gift that he gives us. He helps us to see just how small we really are. And in that smallness, that brokenness, he displays the glory of Christ. Christ. Wow, what a difference, us displaying our own glory and God displaying the glory of Christ through us. Completely different. And then fourth, he says, this brokenness is the means by which God manifests his life in our mortal bodies. Our bodies are dying. That's what mortal means. It means your body's dying. I know that's not news to most of you my age, but some of you young people probably don't even think about the fact you're going to die. First time I was with a person who died, he was, he was 16 years old. He had just turned 16. And I was by his bedside in a hospital in San Francisco. First time as a pastor. And I can remember I was so... In fact, Mitch Peterson was with me. It was, it was one of the most humbling things I've ever experienced. This 16-year-old kid who had received Christ, who was a believer. And he passed out of this life. And it, it was such a startling thing because it made you realize how mortal we really are. But God is able to display his glory through these mortal bodies. And notice this. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. What he's saying is when you're persecuted or when you're, you're broken it, as God's instrument, what you're displaying is the dying of Jesus. Because see, when Jesus died on the cross uh, where where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more superabounded, because they were putting to death the Lord of glory, the king of of the kingdom of God, it was horrible what they were doing, and yet it was this great display of the grace of God it's the basis of our salvation, so he says we're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Now, that was true of the Apostle Paul. Every move he made put him in a situation to be persecuted, beaten, put away, whatever. So he says, for we who are living are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Isn't that something that God could display? The life of Christ in our mortal flesh, our flesh that is dying. So death works in us, but life in you. What he's getting at is you are all ministers of the new covenant. All of us are who've come to faith in Christ. That means to be a servant of Christ. And the way that God will use you will seem like, I don't know if I like this because it seems like it's so difficult. I keep getting pressed in. I keep experiencing this brokenness. Well, it's through this brokenness that's working in us, this death that's working in us, that Christ, the life of Christ, will work in those that God uses us in their life. And then uh, I just wanted to read to you out of— uh, th- this is not a new doctrine, by the way. This isn't a new doctrine. This is, some, this is not some innovation Yeah, we heard something new today. It's that God sometimes will crush you in order to display his glory. Now, this is as old as the creation. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad that's one of the commandments of jesus you remember when you disciple somebody or to teach them how to obey the commandments of jesus this is one of his commandments rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted please don't ask me if i've ever obeyed that command that's a hard one isn't it that that would take the spirit of god to empower you to obey that command but he says, this is why you should rejoice and be glad, because because you, your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, if we become nominal Christians, and there's no evidence of the presence of Christ in our life, we're like salt that has lost its taste. It's worthless. You can use it to pave roads, but nothing else. It's good for nothing, he says, anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. The light of the gospels in you. The light of Christ is in you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure. But on a lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the, in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The gospel has powerful effects in the lives of believers. Trusting Christ, you know, we we believe in salvation by grace through faith. You're justified by faith alone. Faith isn't some magical thing that I believe something that's not true, and it makes it true. Faith is in a person. Christianity is about Christ. It's about believing and trusting Jesus Christ. And you say, Well, how can I possibly trust somebody that I can't see? The same way that believers have been doing it for 2,000 years. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter that I've quoted a, a thousand times? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you're not seeing him now, but believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as you're receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yes. We can trust. We can daily, moment by moment, trust a person that we don't see because he's real and he's spoken to us through his word. So we come to the scriptures and we hear, the, we hear God's voice. And we believe him. We believe his testimony about his son. And he changes us. Here's another passage, Luke 9. Verses 23 through 26, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised from the dead on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. That is the implement of death. That's what he's going to die on. He says, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He goes on in John 15, he says, if the world hates you, you know that's hated me before it hated you. That's why it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Why is God determined to do this? Well, look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4. Chapter 10, verse 10 says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Is that, is that incredible or what? And then he says, for he who, we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Wow somebody says well, what's the benefit of living the Christian life that god would display his life and his power through you while you're still in a mortal body it's incredible isn't it that while we are at our worst he gave us his best and now he says i what i want you to do in your weakness is live in such a way that Christ would be glorified through you as you are broken in this life are there going to be trials and troubles in the Christian life oh maybe not let's see how many of you have trouble and trials in the Christian life anybody here no, just be brave yeah see the rest of the people are asleep but all of you who raise your hand you know it's true there's trouble in the Christian life and then, five, number five, the suffering which breaks these earthen vessels should not silence us, but embolden us in telling the gospel. That was amazing about Yuri. As I listened to this story and all that at the, and I, when I talked to him, a few, it's been a few months now. When I talked to him, he was going through kind of a rough time, and I was so impressed with the fact that he was not afraid. He was simply wanting God to display His glory through him. What kind of a strange man was this? Oh, he had been impacted by the gospel. Hearing the testimony it was really fascinating because there was a point in which he realized he didn't just want to be called a Christian, he actually wanted to be used by God to display the glory of Christ. Notice this, but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, he's quoting Psalm 116 the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of it, and the psalmist says, I believe, therefore I spoke. And Paul says, we believe, and therefore we also speak. Why don't you keep your mouth shut, Paul? They're beating you every time you open your mouth. They're throwing you in jail. Why don't you shut your mouth? Why don't you stay under the radar? No, we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people will cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What a glorious truth. A glorious truth. Psalm 116 establishes a principle, I believe, therefore I spoke. What he says right after that in the psalm is, I was greatly afflicted. I was greatly afflicted, and yet I spoke the truth. You remember Job, the story of Job, when Job suffered his Job's comforters, and they're telling him continually, well, your problem is you've sinned. That's why you're suffering. I have a friend who's going through a really difficult time, and some, some Christian guy called their home and talked to his wife and said, the reason he's suffering is because he has sinned and he hasn't confessed his sin. Yeah, that's a Job's comforter. See, because suffering in the Christian life is common. It is true that God sometimes uh, in His grace chastens us, but we are never to assume that somebody's being chastened unless we know from them exactly what's going on. Jesus told us that. He, he talked specifically about people who suffered horrendous things, a tower falling upon them. But He said, they didn't deserve that any more than you do. It wasn't because of that. It was because of the glory of God. He's expressing his faith in God, a resurrection faith. You see, here's the deal. He can call upon God who is, when he's in great danger because he knows that God may rescue him from death, but he knows for sure he's going to rescue him from death when he dies. I know how it is as you're praying for somebody. I remember Steve Fernandez when he, he was dying of this brain tumor, and uh, he told us not to pray for his healing. I went over to pray for him. As soon as I heard about him. me and Phil Howard went to pray for him. And he said, don't pray for my healing. Pray that Christ would be honored and glorified in my life. He was thinking of this passage. <laughs> and it's, that's exactly what happened. Christ was glorified. We don't have to go silent because of our faith. We can see beyond suffering and death. If we die, we're going to be raised in the dead. But in most cases, we don't die. We just, we just are humiliated. <laughs> we just, we die to our own pride. And God displays his glory. We don't have to be silent about the gospel because the life of Christ is manifested even in our death. So the conclusion of all this is that the gospel is a revelation of the light of the gospel, which is this, this revelation is the glory of God in the face of Christ. Have you seen the glory of God in the face of Christ? Has the gospel had that kind of impact on your life? Have you come to meet Jesus, not just know some stuff, not just becoming a Baptist or a Presbyterian or something else, but you actually have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, when you do and you see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, you'll know he is worthy of giving your whole life to. The glory is not ours, but God's. The gospel is a treasure that we've been given. And as we are broken, we are uh, as earthly vessels. God displays the glory of his son through us. It's so backwards. This is really, you know, some, some people have called uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the revelation of the upside down kingdom. Because Jesus seems to say things that are just the opposite of what you assume is true. And I I can remember thinking like this. What God wants is he wants Christians to really be successful and cool and all that because then people are attracted to them and say, man, I want to be just like that. But that's not how God works. Because God's not impressed. You realize that, don't you? God's not impressed. I love to watch Steph Curry play basketball, but God's not impressed. There's nothing about us that's more impressive then when we suffer brokenness and god displays the glory of the gospel through us it's wonderful my sister called me the other day on the 20th and she said you know this is the third anniversary of mom's going to heaven i said you're kidding really it's been 3 years 3 years and it was so it was something because she got she got a condition that i hate even thinking that could happen to me she got dementia she never got to where she couldn't recognize who we were, but she couldn't. She would forget our names. She'd forget everything. And so what you'd have to do is start singing about Jesus, and then she would start singing with you. And then she'd start praising God. I was so glad she was still a Pentecostal at the end. I never did convince her about those things because it was so wonderful to watch her raise her hands unashamedly and praise God and weep over what God had done for her. He displayed his glory through her and her brokenness. And she was just a little old 90-pound woman laying in this bed. Couldn't even get out of bed. And God displayed his glory. So I want you to know this. Jesus has not made his ministers, and I'm talking about all of us, not just reverends. (laughs) That's not a biblical term, by the way. Uh, reverend means feared. And if there's anybody in the world that you don't fear, it's me and Ryan. But all of you are ministers. All of you who are believers, you're ministers of Jesus Christ, you're servants of Christ. And this is the truth. He has not made his ministers unbreakable, but he has commanded us, do not be afraid any longer. This is what he said to Paul When Paul got afraid at Corinth, when he started realizing he's going to, here he goes again, he's going to be persecuted. And And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. That's what he would say to you today. Go on speaking, don't be silent. If you actually have had your eyes open to the glory of God in the face of Christ, if the gospel has penetrated your heart, please don't be silent. Ask God to bring people into your life that you can share with them what it is that has changed you forever. It's glorious. What a glorious assignment that we are clay pots. And when we're cracked pots, the glory of Christ is displayed in a wonderful way. I'd like to ask you to stand with me. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, I want to ask uh, you for those who are suffering right now, we don't, we don't glory in seeing people suffer. I pray for uh, Sarah Snyder's parents who've ex- uh, evidently had an, an accident of some kind when they're in the hospital. I pray for them today, Father. I pray that the gospel coming through Sarah would really impact their hearts. Please encourage her and strengthen her, Father. And we pray for uh, Brian Borgman that you would raise him up. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would not remain silent, that we would speak, that we would know the truth, and we would speak the truth of the gospel. We want to be used by you, and we know that you can give us the strength in our brokenness to trust you and to experience what it's like to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shine through our brokenness. So we ask you to do that in our lives, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.